share something with you that is not original to me. Really, it's kind of funny because anytime I share anything in the Word of God, it's none of it's original to me. <laughs> We're all sharing the Word, but I recently saw a man of God who I greatly respect. He posted some content. His name is Raymond Woodward, and he pastors in Canada, serves on various global boards for the United Pentecostal Church International, the organization which we are a part of. And some of you, no doubt, have already seen this, but I, uh, I wanted to, I, it, really, it really spoke to me, and so I wanted to share what he shared in, in my own words. And, and so, but if I'm going to pass on information that others have worked hard to research and share, I always want to give credit where credit is due. The topic of holiness is absolutely about scripture. First Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. What a call to holiness. So people can define holiness in various ways, but we cannot argue that God demands holiness. We see it very clearly in Scripture. And then Hebrews 12, 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. I want to see God. And without holiness, I cannot See God based on what scripture is saying. And I wrote an entire discipleship course that applies to holiness and that applies, takes scriptural principles and looks at them in applying them to our lives. And so we look in that, in that series about what is internal holiness, what is lifestyle holiness, and what is external holiness. The passages we just read paint this broad stroke of holiness in general. But then scripture gives us passages about how to live and make choices so that we live a holy life. And so I want to begin by emphasizing that what I teach or preach is not just my own personal experience, opinion, or tradition. Every holiness teaching should be based on the word of God. Because otherwise we could just add or take away and we have scriptures that tell us not to do that. And so every holiness teaching should be based on the word of God. And I am so thankful that the Bible is not silent regarding holiness and lifestyle issues. But tonight, just for a brief little time here, I would like to take that even a step further. Holiness is absolutely about Scripture. But as Brother Woodward painted, pointed out so well, it is also about heritage. And so this evening, I just want to talk to you about the heritage of holiness. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for everyone who has chosen to tune in here this evening. God, I pray that you would, Lord, just let this word, your word, come to life in a mighty way, God, and that you would do great, marvelous, miraculous things even through the live stream. God, that men, women, and children would hear your word and that they would embrace it, God, that we would cling to holiness and this heritage that we have been given. In your name, amen. Growing up in church, I came into a Pentecostal church when I was about six, seven years old. And so I was in a unique position at that time. My sister was five years, she still is, by the way, if she's watching, five years older than me. <laughs> she's older than me, but she was regularly told things like, because I said so, because you work for me, because I'm your dad, because I'm in charge. And things were not like they are today. Today, 
we are actually encouraged to be critical thinkers and to not just accept things at face value. If the kids today tried to talk to elders the way that we were raised in the 80s, it would not work. Those elders don't hear about critical thinking, they just hear critical. And that would be the result, and what would result in that would be punishment. And so I'm certain that most of you born before, you know, let's say 1978, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anybody watching online that could give me an amen? Did your parents, if you, come on, someone just comment. Did, you, did your parents encourage critical thinking in your home? Back then, there was still power in positional authority. The titles of dad, mom, pastor, police officer, manager, president, they meant something. And so I'm not saying that respect should not be earned or that people can just treat human, other humans however they want uh, just because they have a title. I'm not saying that. I'm just pointing out that how history was versus back then versus what it is today. And what I'm pointing out here is I grew up and kind of got a taste of both of the worlds. I was kind of in this in-between stage where I got to experience both worlds. Let me explain. As a young man, I'm going to say young as long as I possibly can, born in 1980. Yes, if you're doing the math, that means that I am about to turn 40 years old. As a young man born in 1980, I tasted what it was like to be told because I said so. And as a result, I learned about authority and respect. To this day, I will not call a police officer a cop just because in the home I was raised, my dad said, cop was disrespectful. You call them police officers. You can disagree. You can even be a police officer and disagree with that. I'm just simply saying that was the way it was with my father. I never called my pastor or my youth pastor, by his first name. Again, I know it's a different day, but that's just what I was taught growing up. Just the power of positional authority. But on the flip side, I also grew up in a time where there was a transition taking place where people started to teach me to be a critical thinker. I was taught to ask a lot of questions. Don't just accept things at face value. Just because you ask a question about the Bible does not mean that you don't believe it. And suddenly, we slowly slid into this age where we, where we are now, or even beyond that, of postmodernism. I can stand here and tell you about the positives and negatives of both areas because I personally experienced them. My elders taught me what without always teaching me why. That's the age in which I grew up. When I was younger, it was sometimes because I said so, because the Bible says so, because you just do it, because that's the way it is. And so that was not a knock on them. That was just the way society was at that time. They lived in a generation when they could do that. 
But what has happened now is that there were some people raised that are phenomenal at explaining the what, meaning, okay, what do we believe? Well, we believe the oneness of God, water baptism in Jesus' name, spirit infilling with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, holiness, separation and modesty, pay your tithes, serve in ministry, be faithful. That's the what. But when people say why, we're sometimes... People like that can either either they won't know the answer or maybe they're too insecure and feel like, hey, someone's attacking their leadership or why are you questioning my values? And I feel like my dad, he, he kind of transitioned okay. He taught me to never be afraid of questions when teaching a Bible study. He always would say you would rather have someone ask you questions in front of your face rather than say, that was interesting, get in their car. And say that's the way he interprets the Bible and never come back to your Bible study. He said, don't be afraid of questions. And so my dad was progressive in that way. He taught me to embrace questions. Now, I will say he never did come around encouraging me as a son to question his authority or decisions. That one, that wouldn't, he didn't quite get there. He, uh, he said, be a critical thinker in Bible studies, but in my house, <laughs> no, no critical. So, but we must not only know the what but we have to know the why. Why do you believe in separation? Why does the method of baptism really matter? You could probably tell me the what. Oh, yeah, you go here. The Bible says this. We need to be baptized this way. Scripture says this. Okay, but why? Why should I take money that I feel like I have earned and give it to God through a local church? Why should I take time that I don't feel like I have to go serve other people in some form of ministry? Answer the why. Hear me. Answer the why for people, and you will always be a leader. Answer the why for people, and you will always be in leadership. Today, everyone demands an explanation for everything. That's why we need to teach about principles, the why of holiness, and not just practices, the what. Both need to be discussed. But in latter day, it was, here's the what. This is what we do. But now we have to take it a step further and say, here's why we do that. That's When I wrote my discipleship course, that was what I focused on. Because someone could walk away and say, here's what is expected in the word. Here's why it's expected in the word. And so Brother Woodward explains, he consistently says to our elders on behalf of younger men and women that why doesn't indicate rebellion. Why is just a question. But he consistently says to younger men and women on behalf of elders, just because the elders didn't always explain why doesn't mean they were wrong about the what. I'm going to say that again because that can be deep, but it's powerful. Just because elders didn't always explain the why, we can't, as our generation, get so arrogant to think, well, we got it all together. The elders missed it, and they didn't know how to approach humanity well. No, 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 no. Just because they may not have explained the, the why doesn't mean they were wrong about the what. But now we're, we're entering today where we are right here today, right now. We are in a really dangerous spot. It appears that our current generation is accepting neither a biblical what or a biblical why. Here is what God says. I don't care. Here's why God says it. 
I don't care. And that is a dangerous spot because society has pushed so hard to say, well, this is now acceptable. That's now acceptable. This is now acceptable. And so the church has kind of taken a back seat and being like, yeah, and we've kind of tried to, well, the Bible, that's kind of an old book. It's an, it's an older book, and we've kind of transitioned. Maybe that principle isn't really really as, as clear for today. No, no, no. It's just as clear as it's always been. And so if I say, well, the Bible says this, this is what the Bible says. This is why the Bible says that. Look at other scriptures, and we have people that say, I just don't care, no matter if you're talking about the what or the why. And this scares me because this was the exact attitude of Israel in the book of Jeremiah right before God pronounces judgment. God would tell Jeremiah to give the people the what, and they wouldn't care. Then he would tell Jeremiah to tell them the why, and they still didn't care. And so God eventually sends in Babylon, and they destroy Judah, and God will not put up with the mindset forever. God is coming back soon. He's coming back soon. And if the church and if the world says, I don't care about the what or the why, we are in a dangerous place. So many today have a problem with any expectations of Scripture or any commands of Scripture. God still has commands, and he still has expectations, and his word is still absolute truth in a time where absolute truth is not really acknowledged or embraced. And although I do appreciate some of the approach of modern day, because there's strength in critical thinking, absolutely, somehow we must still understand and be able to live under the absolute truth and the authority of God's word. That Because guess what? When you read the Bible, sometimes God does not explain the why well. When I say well, I'm not saying he's not doing a good job. But I'm saying in a way that we can understand. When you look at Job, that's why he, Job's like, what, what's going on? Where are you at? Jeremiah, too, he's like, why, why would this happen? What, what, what's going on? I'm, I'm reading Habakkuk, and he's confused. God, what are you doing? Because God sometimes says, here's what I want you to do. He would have prophets do crazy stuff as object lessons to the people of Israel. Oh, eat the book. Uh, go around naked. Marry a prostitute. He had them do crazy stuff. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, can you tell me why? No. Just do it. And so there are times where we, God will tell us what to do, but his, his word doesn't always make it a whole 100% uh, clear. Here's why you do that. That's why when people say, you just serve God, one day it's going to all make sense. Has anyone ever said that to you? It, you know, one day down the road, it's all going to make sense. Someone please show me scripture for that. Can, can anybody put some scriptures in the live stream that tell me that where God says, hey, you know what, one day, everything I've ever done, not done, my timing, my decisions, my expectations, one day, I'm going to make it all clear to you and give you all of my reasoning for why I asked it. Come on, give me a scripture. It's not there because we don't have something. God doesn't owe us any explanations. Sometimes he gives us the what, and we don't know the why. There's stuff that happens in my life. I'm like, here's what God wants me to do. Here's what I'm going through. But I wish that I knew why. 
but we don't know why. And so, he sometimes just tells us what to do. And because he is our heavenly father, and he knows best, we just do it. Because if you walk with him in faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the, the, the evidence of things unseen. It's us saying, God, I trust you even when I don't have the why. Come to find out, my earthly father was not the only one who occasionally said, because I said so, that's why. God does that too at times. And this is why our elders didn't always have specific reasoning behind what they taught us to do. There was, we live in a very spiritual world and there's things that happen in culture where the watchman, the pastor, the preacher, the evangelist will stand up and there'll be a watchman on the wall like in the Old Testament and they will shout out warnings. And back then, early days, the church would respond and we'd find an altar and we'd repent and we'd consecrate and we'd say, I got to guard myself. But today, the preacher can say something, and I'm not just saying me, it's anybody, can say something, and we go, hold it. Where's scripture for that? Is that really in the Bible? Is that really necessary? I don't know. I'm going to talk it over. I'll think about it. But God has given all of us, me included, I'm a pastor who has a pastor. And God will lay it on the heart to be a watchman and say, hey, I'm telling you, we got to guard ourselves. There's a spirit in this culture. There's something we have to be aware of. And that's why our elders sometimes didn't have a specific reason or why, but they would feel from God to speak about something. Sometimes it was just that they had spent enough time in prayer and the word and fasting that the Holy Ghost prompted them to teach something. Before the critical thinkers would say, yeah, it's a heaven or hell issue, though. Why do I need to listen to you? Listen. Only heaven will reveal how much those godly elders saved us from. Bishop Frank Tamil, who I sat under who sometimes he'd get up there and he'd say, you got to pay attention. And, and I'd be a little boy and I'd, there'd be times I'd be bored out of my mind just like the kids are here. And he would say, I came across this article. And he'd hold up a newspaper in the, in the, in the pulpit and he'd start to read this. And he'd go, now I'm going to talk to you about the word. And he'd talk about what was going on in society. And I'd be like, oh, this little boy. But I remember a pastor who was willing to call things out in society because he spent time in prayer, fasting the word. Maybe he didn't explain it as polished as, as, as they did today with all the whys, but he would get up and say, I'm telling you by the authority of God, we got to stay away from that. We got to change our lives. We got to guard ourselves. And I am so thankful to God for the elders who went before me who were willing to do it. And they would say, thus saith the Lord, they stood for things. They were countercultural. They might have been bullheaded at times, but they often needed to be in that day and age because they were digging out works. They were doing things when many people today, we say, oh, I faced a little persecution. I'm quitting. I'm out of here. And those elders, those bullheaded elders that they were just so strong and they would do it in their way and I would never do it like that. They were the ones who dug out a work that many of us like myself still stand in these churches and pastor where someone else paved a way. 
And I want you to know that we need some strong preachers. Of course, strong doesn't mean without compassion. Strong doesn't mean without love. We need to do everything in love, and the, and the Bible makes that clear. But if we can get to the place where we are, we're in a dangerous spot now because society is pushing against everything the church believes in. Society is saying uh, everything. And if I start listing all those things, these social media outlets will probably ban this video and call it hate speech. But you know what? It, it, the Bible, it, 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 it makes it still clear no matter what, it still talks about the sanctity of life. It still talks about what marriage is defined in in the word of God. And so even though society is shifting in these things, we still need people in pulpits who are willing to stand on live stream and look at cameras and face people in audiences and say, holiness is a heritage that we need to keep guarding. We cannot lay down. We cannot quit. Yes, I'm going to love every human being who walks into this place, no matter what they're going through, what they're struggling with. But if you expect me to change what I preach because of what you're dealing with, I will never do that because we have to have people who preach the word in holiness and separation, sanctification and, and, and being set apart for God because why the church has always been countercultural. It has never aligned with culture. It's always been countercultural through the history of humankind. If you look away and say, well, man, it seems just like the church is going through somewhere in such opposition right now. You better believe it. There are spirits that are against the church right now that if, you, if you're not careful what you're listening to and watching and playing with and, do, and you're, you're dabbling in some stuff, that's going to mess your life up if you're not careful. Yes, we need to submit to the teaching of the Bible, but we also need to honor the teaching of the elders because holiness is absolutely about scripture but it's also about apostolic heritage meaning what the apostles taught what someone before me stood for and that's why i say well wow look at me i'm i'm a pastor of a church now wow we're successful we're in a building camp we got our own building this is great but we're not here without the elders before us we're not here as far along without the men and women who stood in pulpits and got said what are you holy rollers and people question why you dress like that why you live like that and people they fought battles that paved the way for us to be here where we are today. And that's why it sickens me when, when elders that fought for this and they died for this and they died in this and they hand it to someone else who takes it flippantly and says, well, society's changed. They didn't know what they were talking about. They weren't as smart as I am. And so now we need to, we need to transition with culture. I'm all for looking at methods and saying, how can we reach our community and effectively serve them with compassion? But the moment we start to say, well, that scripture doesn't really matter and times have really changed like that and that's not really necessary. We let spirits into our home. We let spirits into our church that start to influence us, our leaders, our children. And it starts to impact the church that someone else has fought for and handed to us. This heritage of holiness. We may never be able to explain every detail of holiness to the world's satisfaction. But that's because if... if, if if it's not 100% true, that's, that's because, that's, or I'm saying it's not because it's 100% true. It's because some of the things need to be caught, and they're not just taught. 
there's certain things that when, you're, when you receive God's spirit and you start to say, God, I want to live for you, God starts to deal with you about things. And you might be being dealt with about something that there's not even a scripture for, but you say, I just feel a conviction in this. And, and so, wow, God's dealing with me about wearing blue button-up shirts. Okay, that's goofy. And you can, everybody can say, that's, that's just foolish. That's not even needed. That's not a heaven or hell issue. But if God starts dealing with me on it, I'm going to follow my conviction. But this is also why God gives us elders, watchmen who stand up and say, church, we got to be aware. Church, we got to be in prayer. Church, we got to be fasting. Church, we got to be aware of the spiritual battle. Church, we got, it's time to fast. We got to get in the word. Church, it's time to get back in, in, in the building. Church, we got we to gotta begin to pray. Church, we got to guard ourselves. Church, we got to get rid of some things in our homes. Back then, they would preach against a lot of things. And guess what? Many of us who grew up in that age, we aligned. We didn't do it. Today, if I said, get rid of something in your church, you know, you know what a majority of our world, when a leader stands up and says, it's time to get rid of this, most people would say, it's not making a big deal out of something so small. We still need elders. Believe it or not, we still need some bullheaded people that are willing to put their foot down and say, the line's here, and you ain't crossing it. We need some strong parents who say the line's here, and kids are always, I, I, I read something once in a parenting book, that kids wake up every morning, and they want to see where the line is for that day. Every single day. I love my kids. They do it multiple times a day. Here's the line. We need somebody who's strong. But my, my friend, but the school, my society, they said, here's the line. Call me bullheaded. But my God, when I become a, an elder, I pray that I'm handing something to the next generation in the same way it was handed to me. This heritage. Look at some of the things that Paul spoke probably probably wouldn't fly in the 21st century. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, he says, Be followers of me as I'm a follower of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. What kind of confidence do you have to have as an apostolic voice to say, follow me like I follow Christ and follow the ordinances just the way I gave them to you? How, how do you think that would go over in a 21st century church today? The Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ and follow the ordinances just the way I gave them to you. 1 Corinthians 14, 37, if any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. There was a confidence. I've spent time with the Lord. I've prayed. I've fasted. God spoke to me. And let me give you what God has given me. And now you need to follow them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, God didn't give it to me. So I'm not sure. Listen, we need elders. We need voices that God speaks to. And God says, tell the church. And the church aligns. 1 Corinthians 7.35, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Paul's goal wasn't to just restrict the church. 
That's what people sometimes accuse apostolic Pentecostals of. Oh, it's so restricting. I, 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 I can't help but think when someone tells me what a life of bondage I live when they have to wake up multiple times through the night to smoke packs of cigarettes on their nightstand because they can't make it through a night without smoking as they're telling me about the life of bondage that I'm living. Paul's goal wasn't to restrict the church. He understood that certain restrictions were necessary to remove distractions and help them serve the Lord to the fullest. Is that why the scripture says to lay aside every weight and sin? It doesn't just say sin. It says weight and sin. Could it be that God lays it on a pastor's heart to stand up or a preacher's heart or an evangelist's heart or a missionary's heart or a Sunday school teacher's heart that warns somebody or youth pastor's heart that says, gotta watch out. Gotta be careful. Stay away from this. And instead of going, yeah, yeah, but I'm taught to be a critical thinker. I just don't know. But that man or woman of God has prayed and they have fasted and God has laid something specifically on their heart for their youth group, their Sunday school class, that church. And God's saying, I want you to lay aside something. I'm not calling it sin, but it's a weight. And it's a thing that is going to keep you from what I want you to do in me. Speaking of Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, at a time when Jerusalem was under siege of Babylon, the nation was being judged by God for the wickedness. The Lord ordered the prophet Jeremiah to bring a clan of people in Israel called the Rechabites into the temple chambers and do something strange. He was to offer them wine to drink. Now that's just clearly in scripture, again, no matter what society says, there are three or four different terms for wine. Uh, some are fermented, some are unfermented. Never one time in scripture, not one time does God ever speak positive of fermented wine where somebody gets drunk. Drunkenness, he, he, he condemns it constantly. So then he says, call them in and offer them wine to drink. What? And look at Jeremiah 35, 5. I set before the sons of the house, the Rechabites, pots full of wine. They walk in. Here, I got you wine in cups. And said, drink wine. But they said, we will drink no wine. Why? Because we're abstaining from alcohol. We don't want to be alcoholics because I'm just not a fan of Bud Light or, or Miller Light or Miller Genuine Draft. Or, you know, no, 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 no. He says, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us saying, you shall never drink no wine, neither you nor your sons forever. Guys, more than 200 years earlier, 200 years, their family's patriarch, Jonadab, had led his family to distinguish themselves from all of the other Israelites of that time. And for two centuries, they had obeyed never drinking wine. The law of Moses didn't explicitly say drink no wine, but their elder said, don't drink wine wine. And 200 years later, that was still all they needed. Elder Tamil, my founding pastor of that church, he spoke things that were instilled in me as a little boy that I didn't even know I was listening to. And they come out when I stand in this pulpit. And it's because something was put in me by an elder that I will never, ever, ever let go. 
I will die and be in a coffin. And I pray to God that my life still reflects the heritage of holiness that was given me by my elder. I pray to God that you can feel through the live stream the anointing that is in this room right now as I preach this. It ran counterculture to what Israelites did. It was higher standard than what the neighbors lived at. If all you're ever doing is my, my consecration, my commitment is based on the person who sits next to me or in front of me, you are missing it. Our commitment and consecration has to match what God is calling us to do. It's not about this woman or that man or the person on the praise team, the person who teaches Sunday school. God is calling you to lay aside weights and sins so that you can get to a place in him where he can mightily use you for his glory. Some people at their time, the Rechabites, oh, are you serious? You're crazy. Why would you do that? Man, that guy's been dead for 200 years. Some probably made demeaning comments or, or thought it was quite odd, but that didn't affect the Rechabites. They honored the example of their elder, even though they didn't have a specific command from God. That's why in the Old Testament, the Israelites constantly, they did whatsoever the Lord commanded Moses to do. They did whatsoever the Lord commanded Moses to do. And when Moses' sister and Aaron, oh, can't God speak through me too? What happens? God strikes her with leprosy. Why? Because God established the voice of elders in his church. So even when the prophet Jeremiah offered them wine to drink and he followed what God said, for them there was no expiration date on the example of their elders. There are things that have been instilled in some of you that you are considering letting go, that you're considering it's not a big deal. You don't have to live that way anymore. The culture and the society in which you live thinks you're crazy. Don't let it go. Don't stop. Your elders instilled something in you that we never want to let go. Jeremiah 35, 18, Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father. He doesn't say you obeyed me. He says, because you obeyed the command of your father, Jonadab, and kept his, all his precepts and done according to all them that he commanded you. Therefore, or because of that, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. Meaning that I will have someone. There will always be someone. He's, he's saying, I'm going to bless that lineage forever. Their, their lineage will forever be blessed. Oh, because you obeyed God. No, because you obeyed the elder who told you this principle. God was so impressed with the dedication of the Rechabites to the example of their elders. You see, the children of Jodanab gave their father the kind of loyalty and faithfulness that God desired, but was not getting from his own children in Judah. And so God declared that he would bless the Rechabites' children simply because they obeyed the voice of their elder. They would survive the destruction that was facing the nation because they honored the holiness principles given to them by the previous generation. I will repeat that again. They would survive the destruction around them because they had honored the holiness principles that were given to them by the elders of yesteryear. 
And as I bring this to a close, the Rechabites teach us that time shouldn't dull our convictions. Society should not dictate what our holiness convictions are. Oh, it's been a long time, you know. I, I know, yeah, my, my old pastor, all that. He or she, they were, they were kind of old-fashioned, you know. They used to preach against this. <laughs> Can you imagine? They used to preach against this. Maybe, maybe it's time to start to stay away from what they used to preach against. Maybe it's time to say, you know what? I don't even understand why, but they preached against something that I just feel like, as for me and my house, I got to start to embrace that again. Why is it that as time goes on, instead of embracing more, we just tend to let more go? They teach us that we never become so educated that holiness principles cease to be relevant in our lives. Even when we don't have a specific, thus saith the Lord. You never go wrong, almost never go wrong in honoring the biblical teaching of the elders. Because while holiness is about scripture, it is also very much about heritage. And that's why God says, use this example. I didn't even speak to them, but they honored the elder. And because of that, they will stand forever. Because of that, their lineage will be blessed. Because of that, they will have things that no one else will have. You, you know, a lot of people, they leave apostolic Pentecostal churches. And I just, I'm looking for something that still feels the same, but without the commitment. Honey, you will never find that. That's why when you walk into an apostolic church where there is holiness, separation, and sanctification, God will enter that building many times in ways you won't find anywhere else. It doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us gifted it doesn't elevate us i'm not speaking that but there's something when god says they followed the voice of the elders they're willing to live in holiness separation consecration even though the rest of the world sells that not a big deal i'm gonna enter in and i'm gonna do things among their midst and they will stand before me and the angels will stand up straight and join them in worship what a beautiful heritage that we have in the apostolic movement please i implore you i beg you don't let it go don't waver don't let society dictate what you stand for i wrap this up and i pray over you right Right now, please join me in prayer. My God, my God, I pray over everyone watching this right now. I feel the Holy Spirit of God in this pulpit as I hold this microphone, as I speak to this virtual audience. Lord, let them feel what I feel right now. God, I feel a passion. I feel just an authority from you, God, that we have got to get more serious than we than we have ever been. Lord, we got to get back to embracing and not releasing things. We got to get back to saying, if God spoke it, even if I don't understand why, I embrace it. Instead of, I don't know if that's a heaven or hell issue. God help the church. God help the church right now, Lord. I know time is short. I pray over every man, woman, and child. I pray over every house. I pray, Lord God, over people who, who Lord, are considering uh, maybe leaving the church or letting things go or saying that's not really a big deal I don't think that's really an issue anymore help them speak to them tonight that there's still power there's still authority there's still favor when they align with the voice of the elders that when the when we say you know what scripturally they preach this they stood up in a time of prayer and fasting and said stay away from this be aware of this keep your eye on this that we as a church would say God help us to do just that help us to embrace this heritage of holiness that we have 
been given. So many other people let it go, but help us not to be the people that let it go, God. But that this heritage of holiness, that we would embrace it, that we would defend it, that we would protect it, Lord God. I pray right now in the holy, matchless name of Jesus, help some conversations to transpire in some homes across the world because of the content of this message, God. Lord, I don't need the glory, God, but I pray, Lord, that something that was said through me by you tonight would be a a topic of conversation in homes. I pray, God, where some things would be embraced, some things, Lord God, we we wouldn't let them change. We wouldn't let them slip, I pray. Oh, in the name of Jesus right now, in Jesus' name.